Um, we are going back in time. Uh, we're now in season two of a series that we started uh, months and months ago. And so uh, I've never done a, se- a series this way where we have like a season one and a season two. It just happened th- that way uh, because we didn't want to have uh, going through Easter and everything. So, so we got off of David. But if you were here a few months ago, you saw like has the story of David unfolded as, as it came to be. And then, and then we ended that series right at the end of 1 Samuel, right before David. David became king, uh, and then and then we we uh, are going to pick up again now in Second Samuel. So today uh, I'm going to be in Second Samuel. If you would like to follow along in your Bible uh, for that, but let's let's talk a little bit about this series and why why David. David is a very complicated person because he's he's praised in both the Old and New Testament as being one after God's own heart. But if you talk about him, you look at him. He has he has significant flaws. He has significant character flaws. He has significant character traits that are worth emulating that you would want for your kids and you'd want for your your people, but he's not perfect. And so it's important to see that that with David, you get a little bit of a, a good guy who's wanting to follow the Lord, and you get a little bit of a guy with an anger problem, a guy with, with some flaws of his own. Uh, and yet in in both respects, whenever whenever the sum total is finished, he is described as a man after God's own heart. And I just want to acknowledge that in this room, because if I'm not mistaken, uh, nobody in here thinks of them themselves as like the perfect follower of God. Did, did we get that guy today, this, this week? Uh, no, I, I saw one hand in the back, but I, I, think, I think that was just a, a prank. We, we want to be good followers of God. I, I've never met the Christian who is like, you know what? I just want to ruin my life this year. No, no, nobody does that. Um, and yet, and yet, when we when we get into like counseling relationships or we're talking to someone about like how our relationship was with God, we tend to dismiss ourselves because I've made a mistake. I, man, I just I made that same mistake last month as I made it years ago, and I'm so sick of making that same mistake. God must be mad at me. God must be tired of me making this mistake over and over again. But what I want to say and what we see with David is that if David, after the end of it all, is someone that is described after as a man after God's own heart, then maybe there's hope for us too. That, that though we're not perfect, if we're honest with God and we just really submit to him and just really try to seek him out and learn to wait well, maybe, just maybe, uh, we have a good relationship with him. And he corrects our mistakes along the way. David had mistakes. I want to pull up a, a timeline just to get everybody kind of in the same uh, framework. These years are pretty, they should be pretty close to accurate, but just just know once you go before like the 400 AD mark, uh, like it, it says 1025, it may have been 1023. Like just just know there's a room for a few years of, of wiggle, but uh, in, in 1025 BC, we have a 15-year-old boy named David. He's anointed as king. He's going to be the next king of Israel. If, if you were here then, uh, you may remember that the king at the time was a guy named Saul, and Saul was a knucklehead through and through. Just, just he he had he had some problems that started out, and instead of instead of uh, like trusting God or instead of seeking God, instead of asking for forgiveness, he went the other way and he tried to defend his wrong choices by doing religious looking things, um, and the whole kingdom goes goes down. But. King David is going to be the, the next king, and he's anointed at 15. But before he's king, he's not, he's not king right then. Uh, before he's king, uh, he gets into a fight with a guy named Goliath. That's probably the most famous David story, I think. If, if I told you, hey, we're doing a series on David, you're probably thinking, oh, we're going to talk about David and Goliath. Already talked about him. You have to go back and look at season one of the series. But he did that at age 20. So for five years, he's ho- holding over his head, I'm going to be the next king, I'm going to be the next king. And then he sets out on this mountain, and he looks down, 
and there's just some guy like taunting God and taunting all of Israel. And David's like, I've got this. Me and God, God's got my back. I know that no man can stand and taunt God this way. And so he goes and he fights Goliath and he beats him. It's an amazing story. But after that, uh, he flees and he runs from Saul for 10 years. For 10 years, Saul, the king of Israel, is jealous of David and hunts him and tries to, to harm him, tries to kill him. And multiple times in those 10 years, two times actually, David could have taken Saul, taken his life and killed him right then. Like he had, he had the, the weapon in his hand, he had Saul in a corner, and he had people behind him saying, I think God wants you to do this right now. And, and David, both times, both times, David was like, I don't think that that's what God wants me to do. And he chose not to kill Saul. Both times, David was willing to ignore the entire crowd and ignore convenience. He could have, he could have taken action, um, and nobody would have faulted him at all for it. He, he had all the power in the world, and yet he, he decided, you know what? I think that God wants this for me instead. For 10 years, he did that. What's, what's important to note here is that David wasn't a coward either. So you could say, well, of course he didn't kill him. He's not a killer. He's a killer. David had a little bit of what the doctors would call an anger problem, okay? Like people would say things to him, and he would just go all out on the Philistines. He would just, he, he, there's, there, there was a, a job he was supposed to go do. He was supposed to hunt down 100 Philistines. He hunts down 200 just for fun. He goes an extra 100 people. Um, there's a moment where a guy named Nabal, you may remember him, his name means foolish. You love that, right? Is Hey, what do you want to name our new son? I, I think dumb. I think that would be a good name. And so they named him Foolish. Uh, Nabal was his name. And, and he, he does something to, to offend David. David asked him for some help. And Nabal, the Foolish one, was like, I don't know who David is. And David grabbed his sword and 400 men and marched up the hill ready to just slaughter this guy and his whole family and his whole house. And while they're in the driveway, he gets talked out of it. And so David, he has a little bit of an anger problem, but he's also somebody who would listen to reason. But for 10 years, he's still not king. And for 10 years, he waited. And it's not until 1010 BC, David becomes king of Judah at age 30. That's where we left off at the end of last season, after we ended this series last time. Uh, Saul died in battle. Um, there was a, he was wounded, actually. And then some guy finishes him off and goes to David. He's like, hey, I'm the guy who finished off Saul. And David goes, why'd you do that? What, who gave you the right to raise your hand against God's man? And so he had that guy executed in, in Ziklag. We'll talk about that in a moment. But at the end of that, uh, David marches into the, the southern end of Israel to Judah, and they say, you're the next king. He is anointed king at age 30. Here's, here's where things uh, unwind, and this is where we're going to be today, is that he's only in the southern end in Judah, and he's anointed king. In the north, though, um, the, the old general from Saul, he, he is now like getting his power together. He gets a guy named Ishbosheth. We'll look at him in a second. That's, that's Saul's oldest son. Uh, he's 40 years old. Uh, and he says, I want you to be the next king. I'm, I'm Abner, and I want you to be our king. And so the north wants to recognize a different king than David. And now a civil war breaks out. So David's first day on the job, there's a civil war that lasts about seven and a half years. What I want to do today is I want to look at, a, real quickly, a survey of the entire civil war, the next seven and a half years, the first seven and a half years of David kinging. And I just want to say a couple of things about how difficult that must be. Um, I don't think anybody in here was alive during our civil war. Uh, I will tell you a, a couple of facts about our civil war. One, uh, nobody wanted to go to war. Uh, it, it, was, it was talked about years before America went into civil war, they would talk about, well, you know, 
what, we could just get into a fight, we could do this. Nobody wanted that. They tried to find peaceful routes, but a battle broke out, as will happen here, and, and we went to war. But our own civil war, it was the bloodiest war America had ever known. Uh, it, it tainted our country, uh, our politics for years, decades. Uh, it only lasted four years. It was only four years of wartime in America, and yet we still talk about it today. We still have TV shows about it. It still comes up in pop culture. His war was almost double that, seven and a half years that the people are fighting themselves. Seven and a half years of the kingdom not doing anything that they were called to do. Um, they're just fighting one another. And what, what I want to talk about at the end of this, I'll just hold this in your head, is uh, just as we were singing those songs earlier, that you, God never wastes a mistake. God never wastes a, 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 a problem. Like He is a, a firm and secure refuge for us. I just want to uh, ask you, like, if you're in the season, the seven and a half year season of things are in chaos, I don't, I don't know what, which way is up anymore. Is, is God wasting that? I just want you to see that at the end of this seven and a half years, God is still sovereign. God still has, has control over the circumstances. And though the people went into war and they didn't need to, uh, they come out on the other end trusting God and God is still there. And that would be true of, of your life as well. So, um, if you're ready, uh, let's let's start looking in Second Samuel, uh, chapter two. And again, I'm going to go very fast, so just be ready to turn pages. Second uh, Samuel chapter two verse four uh, says, uh, "And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah." So just the southern people, the people around Jerusalem, said, uh, "I think God wants you to be our next king." And that sounds like okay. That, then then we're where we're supposed to be. But if you roll down to verse eight, but Abner the son of Ner, Ner, what a nerd! Uh, that'd be a better name. Abner the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth the son of Saul and brought him over to Mahan. Naim, uh, and he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Abner, uh, you may remember Abner if, if you were with us for the first season. Abner was the guy who stood next to Saul while Goliath was taunting Israel. Abner was the guy that Saul turned to. He's like, hey, who's that kid, David? Like, who's his parents? And Abner's the one who responded to him. Abner was the guy who was supposed to protect Saul whenever David snuck into the camp and stole Saul's spear and, like, waved at it from the other side and said, nanner, nanner, boo-boo, I got the spear. He was talking to Abner. So Abner has a little bit of a rub, a little bit of friction with David at this point. Point. Uh, he he has, has shamed him. And now uh, in response, Abner's like, I'm going to go establish my own kingdom up in the north. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned for two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Let me tell you how the timeline works out. David becomes king for seven and a half years before he's king over the rest of Israel. But it took them five and a half years to get Abner installed. So just, just think about like what kind of politicking was happening at the time. Abner's traveling around the north. He's like, hey, I've got your king for you. Oh, I thought David was the king, didn't he? No, no. Mm -mm. I've got Saul's son. He's going to be the king. And it took them five and a half years of being convinced, okay, I'm going to trust him, I'm going to trust him, and develop uh, his, his kingdom. Scroll down and... Uh, 
excuse me, there's a battle. Uh, what, what they decide to do is they're going to figure out who is going to uh, be the next king. Who, who's, who's in control right now? And so they do representative battle. You guys like this. Uh, any, any Gladiator fans? You, you, like, you like watching uh, Russell Crowe? You know, you know, yeah? Okay, good. Uh, so they decide they're going to get a couple of representatives, some from David's team, some from Abner's team, and we're just going to meet, and we're going to fight, and whoever wins, wins. That's how we're going to figure this out. And so they get 12 versus 12 to fight uh, in this area called Gibeon. I'm going to start reading in chapter 2, verse 14. It says, And Abner said to Joab, uh, Let the young men arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Okay, let them. Let them arise. Then they arose and passed over by number, 12 for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in the opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore that place was called uh, Helkath, ha, I'm going to butcher this, Hazurium, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was fierce that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. We're going to do 12 v. 12. Abner, you choose your 12. I choose uh, you, 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 you. Okay. No, you're in. I got you, Royce. And then, uh, David, you get your 12. Okay. You, 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 you. And you guys just stand up, and like we'll count to three, and y'all fight. We'll figure out who wins. Three, two, one. In 12 versus 12, David's 12 just grabbed them by the hair, stuck a sword in their side, and all of the other 12 fell down. In that moment, uh, Abner completely loses. Uh, David's team is completely winning. Uh, and it should be the end. It should be, okay, here, we, we will, we will now, like, abdicate. We'll give you the throne. Instead, what happens, uh, Abner gets up and their team, and they just run away. We're like, we're not accepting this. You know, they, they leave their 12 guys behind. It's like, it's like, uh, kids, you know, like, you didn't win the baseball game, and then they take the baseball and run home with it. Abner's taking the kingdom and he runs off. Uh, and, and as they're sprinting, this battle breaks out. My Bible, I don't know if your Bible has this, my Bible calls this the Battle of Gibeon uh, up at the top. Uh, it's because what should have been a deciding moment uh, turns into this, this brawl where people are being slaughtered left and right. Uh, at the end of this brawl, many, many people are going to die, but there's one very important person that's going to come up here in a moment uh, that we need to read about. Uh, starting in verse 18, it says, in the three sons of Zeruai uh, were there, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Uh, and Asahel was as swift a foot as a wild gazelle. What Asahel is known for, that sucker can run, right? He is fast. You do not mess with him. Uh, now, I don't, I don't think that you remember these names right away, um, but Zeruiah, Zeruiah? That's David's sister. Uh, that makes these three guys David's nephews. One of them we've already met. Uh, that guy named Abishai, uh, we met him. Uh, the, the, when David snuck into Saul's camp, he says, hey, I need somebody to go with me. Uh, this is dangerous. I don't know what's going to happen. He ends up taunting Abner. I need somebody to go with me. Can I get one? He gets Abishai. His nephew is the one who raised his hand. His nephew is the one who went with David over there. And he, he got face-to-face with Saul. Uh, he was there when Abner, and they stole the spear, hid the bottle of water, the whole thing, and he leaves. He was there for the prank. This is somebody who is a trained uh, 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 assassin's not the right word. The dude can fight, okay? All three of these guys can fight because David and his crew have been fighting for years and years. 
And so uh, Asael, one of the brothers, we know he's really, really fast. And Asael pursued Abner, and as he went, he turned neither to the right nor to the left from following Abner. Abner and all the other guys are just running through the field, and Asael is zeroing in on Abner. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to let him get away. He doesn't turn left, he doesn't turn right. Then Abner looked behind him and said, hey, is that you, Asael? I, I, I don't know uh, where our runners are in the room. I have a hard time talking while I run. Uh, they're having a conversation as they're running through the midnight forest, you know. Uh, hey, is that, is that you, Asael? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is I. Abner said to him, okay, great. Here's what I want you to do. They're running as they say this. Turn aside to your right hand or to your left. I don't care. And seize one of the young men and take his spoil. You can have anything you get off of the guy. Leave me alone, man. Um, but Asael would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asael, hey, man, turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? He, like, he knows these people by name. But he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear so that the spear came out at his back. And he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place uh, where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. This battle is breaking out. Asahel is chasing Abner. Abner's like, listen, you don't have to fight me. You, you, I, go, go talk to your brother. Go talk to your mom. Go see your uncle. Like, just leave me alone. And at the end, hits him with the back of the spear so hard that it pierces him. And he falls and he dies. This battle breaks out and goes. Um, this begins the Civil War that we're going to read about here in a second. One of the things that uh, always fascinates me about the American Civil War is um, the, the, the biggest, um, I don't know if it's the biggest complaint. There's a lot of complaints with the war. But when you talk to or when you watch documentaries or you read about it, it's, it's this idea that like we were fighting people we knew. We were fighting our brothers. We were fighting people who should have been on our side. That, that's where the hurt was. You know, Abner, he's running, and he looks behind him, and he knows the guy who's trying to kill him by name, and he knows his family, and he's like, it doesn't have to go down like this, but it does. It ends up going down like this. Israel, uh, as a nation at this point, they're called to do a mission. Uh, their job, if you rewind all the way back to Exodus, Israel was called out to be a priest or a kingdom of priests for God. Their mission was to live in a land that didn't know God and to be an example of following God. But while they're breaking out in civil war, all they're doing is focusing on the problems that are internal to them. You don't see them completing their mission at all. Let me, let me pull this out of American Civil War. Let me pull this out of, you know, David's Civil War. Just put it in your life for a second. There's a lot of times where we end up in seasons of conflict uh, with people that we should be on the same side with, with people that we shouldn't be in conflict with. We're arguing over things that have no business being argued about. And in the process of arguing for those things, in the process of standing up for our rights on this, in the process of just giving them what they have coming to them, we're missing out on completing the mission that God has called us to be. So just as Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests, you as a follower of Jesus were called to be the priesthood of the saints. You were called to live in this world, to be an example of what it's like to follow God and what his purposes are and what it looks like. But when we get caught up in conflict, when we get caught up in conflict of our own making, um, we get off mission and we miss out on the opportunity to serve. You, you may find yourself right now, I'm, I'm in conflict with people at work, I'm in conflict with my marriage, I'm in conflict here. We have all these areas of conflict, and every one of them is demanding your attention, just as it's demanding their attention, and you're not getting your mission accomplished any more than they are. So this battle, uh, it breaks out, 
they fight. At the end of the battle, uh, let's see, uh, verses, uh, let me look at, I don't, I don't actually have it to read. Uh, at the end of the battle, the score, it was, it was 12 to 12 uh, at the beginning. The 12 killed, it was, it was 12 0 is the score, but because they fought, it ends up being 360 of, uh, Saul's people, Abner's people die, and 20 of David's people die, but one of them being his nephew. And so this battle, it, it it's, it's a lot of fighting, it's a lot of death, uh, and, this war breaks out. It lasts for, like I said, seven and a half years. Towards the end, um, we pick back up in chapter three. It says, uh, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. David is growing stronger. He's, he's having uh, a lot of children. Uh, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, but Abner uh, and his side is losing people after battle, after battle, after battle. Verse uh, six says, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner uh, was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rispah, the daughter of Aia, and Ishbosheth, which is Saul's uh, son. Ishbosheth says to Abner, "Hey, why have you gone into my father's con- concubine?" Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, "Am I a dog's head of Judah?" Here, here's what's happening. I'm going to translate real quick. Uh, Ishbosheth is just like doing kingy things in the north. And he looks at his general Abner. He's like, hey, why'd you steal my dad's girlfriend after he died? And Abner, like one, uh, he kind of denies it. I just assume that like he was caught. I, I read a bunch of commentaries about this. They're like, everybody seems to think that it's a false accusation. Who knows? Uh, all of this battle, everything that's going on, Ishbosheth is having all his people slaughter. He's just sending them, just sending them. And the only thing you hear about him doing kingy is, hey, you stole my dad's girlfriend. Why'd you do that? It's such a small thing, and it offends Abner. He says, am I a dog's head of Judah? To this day, I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers, to his friends. I've not given you into the hand of David. I've been loyal. He's saying, I've done all of this for you, and yet you charge me today with a fault concerning a woman. So now, Abner is, uh, he's deeply offended. He's, he's going to go cry. It says, God do so to Abner and more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. Yeah, Ishbosheth is kind of cowering. It's, like, it's getting real, you know, because Abner's a, a killer. What's interesting to me is that uh, when Abner's offended, he immediately says to him, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go do what God promised he was going to do. I'm now, I'm now going to stop fighting God's plan. I'm just going to be a part of that for a while. What, what that tells me is that for the last seven and a half years, Abner is fighting a war knowing that God wasn't behind that, that God had nothing to do with that. He was fighting against God himself. And now he's offended by Ishbosheth's kind of comment. He's offended that somebody would challenge him on his morals. Like, how dare you? I should be able to take any girlfriend I want. I'm, I'm the, I'm the warrior here. Uh, he ends up saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to help God do his, his plan. It's such a, such a weird thing. When we, when we get entrenched in our own mindset, when we get into a fight and it's all about like just winning, so just getting our point across, uh, we may very well be fully aware of what God wants for you, what God is asking for us to do, and we just choose to go against him. Jump down to verse uh, 14. 
So they, they decide they're going to make peace. Uh, Ishbosheth goes to David and he says, uh, you know, let's, let's work this out. And David's like, yes, I would love to have peace. I would love to have that. But first, I want my wife back. Uh, you may remember that David had a first wife, uh, Michal. David had a little, excuse me, Michal had a little problem with a little idol worship. But at the end, she uses one of the false gods to help David escape uh, Saul. And so he says, I want Michal back. Now, what you may not know is that Michal's already been married to somebody else. This is years later. We're talking 15 years later, give or take. Like, this has been a while uh, happening. And it says, then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife, Michal, for whom I paid the bridal price of a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. If that sounds like really violent and graphic, just go look it up in 1 Samuel. It is. It's, it's that violent and that graphic. Uh, and Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, Paltiel, the son of Laish. Uh, can, can we just get a quick survey of the room? Uh, if you're Paltiel, the son of Laish, you've been married to your girl, Michal, for who knows how long. She's the, she's the last king's daughter. She's supposed to be very beautiful. Uh, your marriage has been great. Uh, and now this other king is like, hey, hey, go get my wife. Uh, are you okay with that? Are you okay with somebody coming and taking your wife back to another land? No, no, that, that stinks. That's, that's really bad news. Uh, verse 16, but her husband went with her weeping after her all the way to Bahurim. Bahurim. Uh, then Abner said to him, go return, and he returned. The husband follows Michal all the way back, uh, weeping and crying. Like, this is my wife. Like, you are, you are breaking my family apart. Did she have children with him? Maybe. Uh, the, the mom is, you're, you're ripping my children's mother away just because David said, this is what I want. I want, and Abner eventually is like, dude, get out of here. Just go back home. And he, he does, he just goes, you know, um, this entire story up to this point, seven and a half years of civil war, we barely hear a mention of David. We don't know a lot about what David's doing. We don't know a lot about his character. Uh, we'll come to that here in just a second, but, but in this one beat, like his biggest, his biggest like idea is, yeah, I want peace, but I want my other wife back. He's he's married to three women at this point, so this becomes number four. It's it's a little, I don't know, it seems a little greedy to me. But McCall returns. Abner, uh, he 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 brings McCall. He's like, hey, I've got I've got McCall. Here you go. Let's talk peace. And so they have this conversation. Abner and David are sitting across from each other. They could be fighting, but they're discussing peace. And at the end of it, Abner says, I'm going to go. I'm going to go get some people out of the north, and and I'm going to go. Um, but remember uh, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. That that Abner killed Asahel. And on his way out, he leaves. Uh, Joab, Asahel's brother, comes in and is like, hey, uh, I'm back from, I'm, I'm over here. Uh, Joab says, uh, somebody says to Joab, hey, did you see Abner leave? He just left. Abner, the, the son of Nerd, uh, just left. Uh, and he goes in peace. He's, he's, he's good. Nobody's, nobody, he's like, are you kidding me? How, how are you letting Abner go? Uh, Joab goes into David's throne room and accuses him of just being an idiot. He's like, you know he's just here spying on you. You know he's out here trying to do harm. David is wanting peace. David is working towards peace. Joab goes and he hunts him down and he gets him to come back and meets him in a dark alley, as it were. And this is uh, what we have. Uh, well, it, it won't come up on the screen. He ends up just slaughtering the guy. Okay, that's that's what we would read at the end of chapter two. After, at the end of chapter three, at the end of chapter three, Joab gets him in a dark alley. He's like, "Hey, Abner, I need to talk to you about something. Come here, come here. I want to whisper. Come here." And just stabs him right in the stomach. That's it. And he falls over dead. And now there's an assassination, a political assassination under David's uh, headship. Uh, 
and and the country could have easily just done what it always wanted to do. The country could have said, well, you know, I guess David gets to be king now. You know, he killed the dude, got him out of the way. But David, just as he would with Saul, would not just let the people have their way. He would not just let circumstances dictate what he was going to believe and what he was going to do. It says in verse um, 35, Then all the people came uh, to persuade David to eat bread while it was yet day. But David swore, saying, God do so to me, and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. David is mourning the the death of Abner, who was kind of a, a friend at some points and an enemy at other points. And he's not letting the people just, you know, like ignore this. It says, and all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them, as everything that the king did pleased all of them. I want, I want you guys to pay attention to, to that. Um, and all the people took notice that David was doing this. Um, regardless of your standing uh, in your family, you have people who watch you and they take notice of what is important to you. What's important to David in this moment is that they grieve Abner. And he says, nation, I want the entire nation to do this thing. We're going to cry. We're going to rip our clothes. We're going to have a funeral service. We're going to mourn Abner. And all the people took notice of it, and they watched what he did, and they followed what he did. Listen, dads, this is a good Father's Day message. Dads, um, your kids take notice of what you care about. They take notice of when you take the shortcut, and they take notice whenever you double down on your morals and you follow through with it. They will grieve the things that you grieve, and they will grow up to be men just as you have led them because they're taking notice of it. I I say this as a dad. I have have, uh, kids at home. I don't think they watch me at all. I don't think they notice me at all until until this, uh, until they say back to me something I said to them last week. I'm like, where were you in the last week? How do you even know these things? They, they repeat back to me, think, oh, because because you're watching. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to myself as much as I am anybody else in here. Uh, the nation watched David, and people watch you. Your kids watch you. Your coworkers watch you. Your spouse watches you. They watch your lead on what matters to you. What grieves your heart? Um, where do we try to take the shortcuts? Because people are going to watch that, and they're going to follow suit. So all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put to death Abner, the son of Ner. David could have come out and said, yes, I planned the assassination. It just makes things easier. Uh, but now he's like, no, we're, we're going to grieve this. We're going to, to follow God's way. Couple more verses, and I want to close with some thoughts. Uh, what's going on in the north? Abner di- uh, dies. It says in verse uh, chapter four, verse one: When Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, his courage failed, and all Israel was dismayed. So just as d- the nation was watching David, and they were all encouraged by his mourning, all of his people or uh, watching Ishbosheth. He's like, "Oh, Abner died." It says his courage failed. He becomes more cowardly than he was before, and people are dismayed. So much so that two people that he trusted, these uh, these hitmen, he has like a, a, a what's what's the word for like hired military people? I keep trying to come up with that word. Mercenary. There you go. Thank you. So he has some mercenaries that work for him, uh, and and because they're so offended with how cowardly Ish- Ishbosheth is, they sneak into his house while he's taking a nap at noon. It says at noon. Now, anybody here taking a nap at noon? Like here in just a minute, you're gonna go home. You're gonna take a good Sunday morning Father's Day nap. Um, that's what he does. 
He's taking a nap, and these, these mercenaries walk in just pretending to just, you know, having a good time, and then they stabbed him in the stomach. They just killed him. They, they offed him. And, and after they stabbed him, they cut his head off, and then they take it to David like, hey, I got your guy. I got the guy you wanted. And David is so ticked off at them. He's like, why would you do that? He was an innocent, guiltless man. He had those two mercenaries assassinated, or excuse me, executed, not assassinated. And then in uh, chapter 5, we get to the end of the war, uh, verse 1. It says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. Listen how they changed their tune. We were at war for seven and a half years, and now that it's all over, we're all brothers, man. We're your bone and we're family. We're your bone and flesh. Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. At the end of it all, it ends up working out exactly as it was supposed to, but there's all this mess, all this drama that didn't have to be there, and a lot of death. Um, David, uh, you notice, and this will be played out elsewhere, David does not like hold all of the North accountable for seven and a half years of war. He doesn't like arrest a bunch of people. And it really reminds me of Abe Lincoln. Abe Lincoln had a policy at the end of the Civil War, like, okay, who are we going to arrest? Are we going to go get the generals? He's like, no, just, just blanket statement, immunity. We're, we're forgiving them because we have to rebuild this nation. The, the, the qualities of David that I want to kind of pull out right here, this, this part of David, is, is in seven and a half years of chaos, uh, he, he kind of did a selfish thing. He chooses to get his old wife back, but, but he, he also like, has a lot of forgiveness, a lot of wisdom for following God's ways. I want to, I want to leave you with three thoughts if you want to uh, consider these this week. The first is this, that the people, this entire seven and a half years, they were distracted from their mission due to the hardness of their own hearts. God warned them before even King Saul, you don't really want a king over you because he's going to, he's going to distract you. And they said, no, we want a king. And, and okay, well, if you want a king, then you need my boy David. And they fought against it for seven and a half years. And because of the hardness of their hearts, they're just off mission for what they were supposed to do. And it took heartbreak. It took, it took this moment of Abner's death. It took a moment of, uh, David's nephew's death to, to kind of, like rattle their heads and for them to remember who they were. This is very similar to how we were um, before, like September 10th, 2001, we were a nation divided politically, much as we are right now. And then, and then 9-11 happens. There's heartbreak, and everybody's like on the same side again. Church attendance shoots up. There's zero politicking for years. Um, there, there were some mistakes made, but there's this moment of, of we're one person again. We're, we're bone. We're brothers. Um, don't don't let your current season of heartache, your current season of, of chaos, uh, require a season of heartache to remind you of what God is calling you to do. It can. It can go that far. But what has God called you to do and what is occupying your attention? Is your current season of heartache a gift to wake you up? It may not be that it's just meant for your bad. Uh, when Abe Lincoln was inaugurated the second time at a second inaugural address, it lasted five minutes, by the way. I, I love uh, political speeches back then were great. It all fits on half of a sheet of paper. This is amazing. Um, the Civil War is winding down at this point, and he's reflecting on the Civil War. He says a lot of things in here, like uh, he says, listen, I could talk to you about military, but you know as much as I do. Like You don't need to hear from me on that. But he ends, he, he talks about why we went into war uh, in the Civil War. 
he talks about slavery. He talks about how repugnant it was and how, how the fight was, was unnecessary. And he ends it with this. He says, fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. At the end of the war, he's mourning the, the death of all of the countrymen. And he says, perhaps what God is doing is requiring that the blood drawn by the swords match the blood that was drawn by the lashes of the slaves. And if that's what God's will is, then so be it. Regardless, just as was said 3,000 years ago, he's referencing back, back to Exodus. He says, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Your circumstances, whatever heartache, season of heartache you find yourself in, uh, it's not always just heartache. It may just be the back end of a season of disorganization. And it's meant to be a season where you remember who God has called you to be. Um, and if it's that, then it's a gift. The second thing I want to say about David is that David set the moral compass of the people. Uh, they followed his lead on what was right and what was wrong. They followed his lead on what God wanted for them. And, and there's not a person uh, in here, no matter your age, uh, no matter who you think is watching, there's not a person here who's not setting the moral compass for the people around you. And so how, how are you doing with that? Um, I would invite you to just just to own that. And if I could just make another Father's Day plug for a second, dads, um, we have like a double responsibility for setting the moral compass for our kids and, you know, for our home. And so how are we doing with that? Um, what is our compass pointing others to? And if there needs to be a correction, maybe that season of heartache, that season of calamity, that seven and a half year civil war is meant to remind us of that. And the last is this, uh, is that it took David 23 uh, and a half years to see the promise of God come to fruition. Uh, he has, he's uh, uh, anointed as king at age 15, and then he has, ten, uh, he has to fight Goliath, and then he has 10 years of running from Saul, and then he's anointed as king of just half of, so it's like a half fulfillment, and then it's seven and a half years of, of war. David is 38 years old before the promise that was made at 15 years old, like, hits him. Like, I'm now the king of all the things that God has promised me. To be. And what's fascinating to me about David, I think one of his best qualities and one of the ones that we need to remember the most is that he waited well. He knew how to wait in this long in between and be faithful to God, actively faithful to God in those moments. Now, now you and I, we live in a world where, um, you know, we, we, we want to see God come through in our families, when we want to see God come through in our workplace. Like, I just took a new job and, and I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to, like, I don't, I don't feel like a fit. I don't, I don't know if I'm, if this is the job for me. David would be an encouragement to just like, like, wait on God. Like, waiting, waiting requires you to shut your mouth. Waiting requires you to stop politicking. If we wait well, we don't have time to argue. We don't have time to convince other people. We just, hey, is that, is that thing you've been praying for for the last year worked out? No, but I'm, I, just, I just trust the Lord. The second song we sang in worship, it, it struck me that, that he never fails. He's never late, the song said. David waited 20 some odd years because he knew that God was his refuge, that God was a place to, to, to hide for protection. 
So I, would, I just want to invite you to wait well, and I want to invite you to, to consider the, the next season. As we look uh, at David in future weeks, uh, we have a little bit of uh, uh, adultery, a little bit of murder. We've got, uh, we've got all kinds of stuff that we're going to look at here in a moment. David is a fascinating guy. Let me pray for him. Uh, I would invite you to wait well, and then we'll watch the queue together. Father, uh, this morning, uh, we come to you in, in whatever seasons of life. Uh, Father, um, I pray for those of us who are in seasons of, of chaos and uh, calamity. Uh, I pray for, for those of us who are just really hard, heartbreaking moments, Lord, that you would, you would be a, a place of peace, that you would give a, a season of, of refuge, and that in, in all the chaos, Lord, that we would, um, we would learn to wait on you uh, and wait on you well. Uh, I pray for us, Lord, as we... Um, as we want to, we want to lead others and uh, uh, point them towards you. That our compass would point them uh, towards you. Well, uh, help us, help us to own that um, and protect us from from seasons where we're off mission. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.